Greetings, outcasts, freethinkers, narrative questioners, dot connectors, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever realm we exist in at the moment. You are about to embark on another free first hour episode of The Notes. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For as little as three lousy Babylon hokey pokey tokens per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast or click the link in the episode notes to set the process in motion. It's simple, painless, and very well might make you feel tingly inside. So without further ado, please enjoy the show! This is Hunter Muse. And this is Chris Snipes. And you are listening to The Melt. Austrian esotericist Rudolf Steiner was so prolific, his works exceed 330 volumes. It would take a couple of lifetimes to read them, much less absorb and embody them. Fortunately, there exist people such as today's guest, Dale Brunsvold, who has taken it upon himself to basically turn all of Steiner's published works in English to audiobooks that can be streamed or downloaded on the internet for all who have ears to listen. In this ongoing series on Steiner, we again enlist the huge mind, heart, and soul of Dale to guide us through Steiner's works as we proceed to peck away at the tip of an immense metaphorical iceberg that is the Steinerverse. I start off the chat by asking Dale what it is that Steiner means by the term esoteric or occult science. He is, he does mean science. He means science as you and I understand science, which I think is that we take uh, seriously our sense perceptions, right? And we process them as objectively with our thinking, our reasoning as we can, and testing all the time the, the conclusions we're drawing so that we're never kind of falling into illusion, right? That's the effort we're trying to make in science, yes. right? Yeah. So in Steiner's picture of what meditation does and what uh, the spiritual exercises that he has designed do is that ultimately, they open up organs of perception in our subtler bodies. And are these aligned? I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, are these aligned with our our physical organs? 
So did we talk about that last time, the nature of the human being? We the physical body, the etheric body, the astral body, and the ego, right? Yeah. So right now, you and I are using, according to Steiner, we're using essentially the physical organs of perception, and we're receiving the data, the given data from the universe, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And then we're using the organ of perception that our ego has. Now, this is really cool because every body that we have has organs of perception in it, but our astral organs of perception and our etheric organs of perception are dormant right now in the course of our evolution. And, and there's the reason for that, one of them is it just separates us from the Godhead, okay? But we use the organ of perception of our ego and people go, what do you even mean by that? What is the organ of perception of the ego? Well, it's thinking. Thinking sees a world, right? And, and a world, you could call it a world of concepts and ideas and whatever kind of picture consciousness some people have that they might perceive. But thinking has an ability to perceive that world. And we can talk about how clear that is now as compared to the past, right? And all that. And, we, and those two things come together. If we didn't have thinking, our, Steiner argues, all we would see is just a miasma or a, or a, a chaos of uh, splotches of color and shapes that we wouldn't have any conception of anything in front of us. But because thinking takes hold of that, it orders it, structures it, relates it, right? And we collect it in our memory and you and I build our world and it's not something magical. It's the world that is the world. It's out there as it were, right? It's the world our sense, physical senses give us. And so we build the world that we have. And so that's what we're doing now. And, that, and that's what our science is based on, right? Are those two things. So what would happen, right? What would happen if through meditation, our astral organs of perception, which were called the lotus flowers, mm -hmm. right? And I think they're related to the chakras as well. If we were, if we react, essentially what meditation does is teach you to reactivate those, to regain uh, the ability to take the data that you receive, and I'm a little bit off on this because it's not exactly the same, but we're gonna use the same analogy as with our physical perceptions. We take that data and now we, and it enters our consciousness. And because we now live in a time of science, and we live in a time where the soul has been tempered by science to be objective and not get carried away and not get caught up in ecstasy, right? He even says we can do that even with the spiritual experiences we get now. And that's why science really had to come in a certain sense, so that when we re-entered into spiritual experience, it could be objectively experienced and not just, we wouldn't be enthralled by it. We'd have a strong enough self that we could stand in the spiritual world as a separate entelechy, as a separate spiritual being, shall we say. We're far from that, but right, that's what they're ultimately doing, initiates who awaken the astral organs of perception and awaken the etheric organs of perception, right? They now have a panorama, a phenomenological panorama that they're processing scientifically. And that's, and occult sciences are the fruits, are the fruits of that that Steiner shares at the beginning. And then at the end gives the exercises again of how to do this yourself, how we all in a sense need to do this more desperately with every passing generation, because only then will we have a holistic enough vision or a holistic enough seeing of the organic realm, the etheric realm, and of uh, those other realms, that our will will really activate itself into a healthy, harmonious thing. Right now, we kind of know we need to 
fix the earth. Yeah, we know we're doing everything wrong and we're destroying everything around us. Gall darn it, I think I'll go watch a TV show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know or, what I mean? it's, or maybe take a hallucinogen. Yes. Like that that could be trying trying to fast track that experience into the etheric realm. But are you really doing that? Are you really connecting with the etheric realm when you're doing that? Or is that some kind of a, a, um, I don't know, like a screen that, that is, uh, a, a perception that isn't like a, it's a false perception. Like a shadow play of that world. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even people that let's say become practiced clairvoyance hunter, Steiner says you're, your, your initial experiences are just rife with illusion. So you need to have a healthy relationship that you constantly recheck what you think you know, just like you and I did as children. Right. You know, we constantly were, were checking what we knew. That's how we grew our world. That we didn't happen just, I, I knew my right answer every single time. He says very much so that even worse in a certain sense is how it is with spiritual experience. So we have a lot of people that are sort of like, uh, uh, clairvoyance where things shoot in and, and once in a while they're truly amazing what they have but it's all spotty inconsistent they can easily be wrong i love medium for that you know the the show if you ever watched medium where she's she's pondering she's got a gall darn experience but she doesn't understand what it is and she's a lot a lot of times make completely the wrong conclusion until eventually it comes around to her realizing and that's a big part of the drama of the show right if you know that show with Patricia Arquette, mm-hmm. have you ever seen it? Yeah. She has. You guys mm-hmm. can talk about it. Some. And we just get a kick out of it, you know, because uh, she is a real person. I don't know how, you know, substantial her clairvoyance is compared to the dramatized version of it, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, but it's neat. It's neat to see something like that. So anyway, back to that. So, so Steiner then in Occult Science uh, begins by what? Well, first of all, he talks about science like I'm kind of doing it right now, saying, you know, it's occult because our normal senses can't see it. Just like I can look up in the sky in the daytime. I know there's stars there, but I can't see them. Why? Well, because your senses dazzle you, your physical senses dazzle you, and they're so powerful and they're what evolution has brought us to. So we're right in the, we're right in the stream of what our evolution is asking of us. And to go beyond that is really a sacrifice to say, no, I'm going to develop myself spiritually and I'm going to gain these other organs of perception. But now I'm moving out of the flow. I'm moving out of the flow of common humanity. Are you ready to do that? He's very serious about this, right? And when you and you do it because you want to help. If you do it for anything else, then don't do it. Because <laughs> you're you're just gonna be in so much trouble when the desires hit you and you've got these abilities and uh, you know, the temptations and all that stuff we've seen in horror movies, you know what I mean? So yeah, so so he talks that. Then he then he says, okay, so let's have a clairvoyant look in the second and third chapters. He talks about uh, uh, sleep and death, if you recall, right? Sleep and death is well, what's happening there? And he wants to begin to introduce to humanity in a careful, methodic, dry, scientific way. By the way, nothing fantastical except that, you know the content. Uh, what a human! What human beings are. Because all we now know of ourselves is we're these sacks filled with this stuff that think, these physical sacks. And, you know, we create our education a lot of the time based on that. We, we, you know, so much of our world is based simply on what we think a human being is. And he goes, we're really, really wrong. What we think we are is shockingly incorrect. Okay. And so let me educate you. Let me school you on what we are. And so he begins by talking about the etheric body and the astral body. And then he says, so when you fall asleep, 
Well, a clairvoyant watching a person falls asleep sees the astral body and the ego separate, right? And then the, the, the etheric body, when it doesn't have the astral body connected to it, it just flowers. It actually becomes almost like spring-like because it doesn't have the damaging forces of astrality pummeling it. Where And we have to have that to be awake. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I am rambling a little bit, but, but uh, and then you're in the spiritual world. So here I am, I'm 60 years old. And all the time that I slept, I abided in the spiritual world. But because my astral body wasn't connected to my etheric body, I have no memory of it. And that our memory lives in our etheric life, right? Which is another thing it does. So here I am 60 years old and I slept for 20 years. Have you ever just really thought about that? <laughs> you laid in a bed if you're yeah. 60 years old. You laid in a bed for 20 years. Exactly. And, and but he's saying, oh, not at all. No, you were quite busy. Yeah. You were quite busy in those 20 years in the spiritual world. Exactly. You were taking the moral quintessence of all your waking day actions of thinking, feeling, and willing, and you're weaving them into something that you're going to meet when you die. Or if you get initiated, you'll meet them while you're alive. So a lot of it, what initiation is, is what you experience after you're, you die, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it helps you become a completely incarnated being here. Or otherwise, we're just these kind of shadow egos that Dale is. And no offense, Hunter and Chris, but what you are too. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there's a higher self raying into us, right? That's gone through incarnations. And it's saying, you're going to wake up? You're going to let me be the fullness of your being? Are you going to be Dale plus, <laughs> you know, whatever I am. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, there's just so many distractions and life sure. and, you know, well, and we're all, we're all doing our best. Right. Yeah. So, and even yeah. way back then when he wrote this book, as he's setting up the book, it almost seems like he realizes that he's surrounded by this materialism that is almost, almost going to, completely discount everything that he says, but he says it anyway. And he says it in yeah. as just as many words as it takes to say it, which is a lot. And yeah. he goes into so much minute detail. It's really absolutely amazing. This book, it's incredible. It is. I mean, and then we're not even into that chapter four, right? Yes. Chapter four is where he then unfolds. What he says is a picture of, and you know, it has connections to Eastern wisdom as well, uh, clothed in his own ideas. Right. But he, he wants to show that, you know, so our, so, you know, our physical body is an earth body. Our etheric body is a water body. It's related to the realm of water. Our astral body is an air body. And then our ego is a, a fire body. So these words, as we hear them, the quite uh, simplistic thing we think about Greek philosophy, you know, the four elements, right? That is, oh, that was an esoteric thing. That was deep. That was mystery school language. And, and it just got kind of, you know, watered down into something quaint that we can all listen to. But those were deep. What, what was water was not just water. It was, you know, it was many things. It was molten liquid was water, you know, and all, or molten metal or whatever. So, and it, you know, and all these kinds of things. So alchemically, they, they worked with these things. But he, he says that these bodies uh, began and are related to incarnations of the earth itself. So the earth has gone through these incarnations. He calls the very first one that he says we can discuss the human beings beginnings in. There were ones before that probably, but they just have nothing to do with us. So there's really no reason to just go infinite regress into the whole process of the unfolding of creation. But at, he calls it old Saturn. And he just talks about old Saturn where the, 
the physical body of the human being began, but all it was was a body of warmth. And at the beginning of it, the warmth was something so tenuous that the only analogy he could give was that it was warmth like the warmth of heart between two people. That's how tenuous that warmth was. But it, that was real. In the spiritual world, that's a real thing, right? It's a real thing to us, but real, real there. And then gradually, as Saturn progressed through its evolution, that warmth became kind of physical warmth. And that became the beginnings of our body. And people go, well, why do you call it a physical body then? And, and Steiner later talks about it in a, a different way in a set of lectures called From Jesus to Christ. And it has to do with the physical forces that your body and my body have that get filled with matter, okay? Our, our, that's our actual physical body. And the physical substance isn't our physical body. But that's what we, you and I think it is, right? But it's, it's, and it's not etheric. It's actually these, these physical forces. And he talks about, he calls them the phantom in, the, in those lectures. It's quite a beautiful set. I just re-recorded them because they came out in a new edition. And they're one of my favorite cycles. Massively stunning set of, it's one of the very few that he actually went in and uh, edited for, for actual publication. Because otherwise he just did so much that they just, you know, they just sent it out. Because there was no way to do that. So anyway, uh, I don't know, you two, how much we really want to kind of belabor that. But the warmth body began in old Saturn. Uh, that's when the physical forces bodies were created. Uh, and then there was a, what's called a prolia after it went through its, its, uh, its uh, course of evolution. It, it, it went into a higher spiritual state that Steiner says he can't really perceive. And then it reappeared kind of in a, at a level of spirituality because there was no matter of any kind in this, these stories. And then uh, the etheric body was sort of added to that. You had a recapitulation of the physical body. So it had now gone through a whole stage of perfection. The etheric body incorporates itself into that. And uh, that's when uh, light appeared for the first time, but only later in the middle of that. And that's very sketchy. Sorry, I've read it so many times, but it's so dense, as you said. I'm so fascinated. I wanted to ask you, so is that why the human body is 70% water? I wonder if there's a overlap there between the etheric and the human body, that, that, that those two things have a symbiotic relationship, that, that there has to be some spillover. Sure. I mean, I think so. Uh, it, it, so the, the etheric body works through our, our, our uh, lymph glands mm-hmm. and through all the glands of our body, right? So it works in those fluid uh, glands, right? Mm-hmm. And it replaces, you know, it has to replace you know, about 330 billion cells a day, right? Your body. So we're really just rivers of substance. Yeah. Wow. Right. If we did a, if we did some kind of, you know, sort of like one of those fast action cameras, if you could, if you could pick that stuff up, you'd realize there's not, nothing permanent about our physical body. It's constantly decaying. Mm. It's constantly falling apart. And it's our, our theoric body, right? That is, that is uh, working against that our whole life until we die. And when we die, our etheric body separates from our physical body. That's in those first two chapters, three chapters of occult science. And then the body just does what it's always been doing all along. It just keeps decaying, <laughs> just like it was doing the day you were born, except the etheric body's not there anymore. And what happens, right, is that etheric body takes all those forces and it turns, you might say, to your your soul and it pours all those forces into your soul. And when that occurs, 
you realize that your etheric body has been keeping track of every experience you've had from the moment you were born till the moment you died in like 3D living super intense HD color <laughs> and sound. Atmos, definitely Atmos. Uh, there's no uh, question. Yeah, of Atmos course, sound, of course. That right? goes that and, and so for about three and a third days, you kind of brood inside this. Your, well, what's the phrase, right? Your life passing before your eyes. Everybody has that. Your life right? review. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so some churches have wakes. So the ancient wisdoms still understood, you know, keep the body quiet, keep the body, let this brooding thing as the separation of the physical, of the etheric astral and ego are separating from the physical body, right? Let it have this time to itself. It's kind of beautiful that we still, and we do that in the Christian community. We lay the body out in state. We try not to embalm it. Uh, until the three days, if you even want to do it then. And we just have candles and we'll read to the person, uh, for instance, uh, something super spiritually objective, like the four gospels in the book of Revelation. And, just, and, just, and we sit for an hour. In the old days, we'd sit for 72 hours. One person would take a, an hour and just read that over and over and over again in a quiet mood of soul. Uh, because Steiner said there's archetypal pictures in there that help kind of actually give that person greater quietude because there's like pure truth, you might say, Absolutely. around them. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> reminds, thing, right? that reminds me of what Go they ahead. do in Tibetan Buddhism. Where they spend ah, 40, the yeah, exactly, 49 days and they read uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, certain passages from the Tibetan Book of the Dead to them. So they're not confused and they know what to do kind of to give them guidance and comfort yeah. during yeah. this potentially very up... Uh, jarring. Jarring, yeah. Yeah, time of upheaval. Yeah, and I wonder how much how jarring it is now. Yeah, have you ever seen the the uh, four hour? I think it's four hours long. A uh, book, uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, read by Leonard Cohen. I have not. Yeah, it's very very nice. It's a His documentary. It's just so perfect. Oh yeah, to find that you'd love. That. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere now. Yeah, so seen it's it many a, times. It's a video. It's not an audio book. Yeah. Oh no, wow. it's a video. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. All beautiful, really nice. Everything, dead bodies, a whole. It's all very very real, and he's. Oh no, he speaks. <laughs> he sounds yeah, With they, that gorgeous voice anyway, exactly. right? So, well, it's a, basically, you, you can argue how gorgeous his voice. Is. No, no, I I agree. It's basically the tone of Tibetan chanting, anyway. Oh. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's it. That, <laughs> and he is, of course, was a was a was a Buddhist. So yes, exactly. Yeah, so very much. Almost maybe even a, a teacher. I don't know quite yeah. how far he got, but yeah. So is this? So, yeah, is this invisible world uh, or the maybe the non-sensory world? What Steiner calls the super sensible world is that all the same thing? Yes, and and the occult, right? It's it's hidden. Like an occultation is when a planet goes behind another planet and you can't see the planet anymore because there's a planet in front of it. So our physical senses are in front of the spiritual world, and you can't see it because they're in the way. So they're just as much a window to a world as they are a door shutting us off from another world. Of course, right? In that sense, yeah. So super sensible knowledge, well, super sensible knowledge then would be somebody who has then uh, uh, experienced the super sensible for a long time, in my opinion now, and has begun to truly penetrate it with their thinking. Steiner says thinking operates on all the levels of the super sensible world the same, which is kind of beautiful, Yeah. right? So even science, if that's true, science's presence is even more a blessing as much as we're struggling with its two-edged sword nature. You know what I mean? Yes. It really is, but yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that super sensible knowledge then becomes something you start to acquire. And only and through, you, only so through, go ahead. Only through firsthand experience, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. 
Yeah. I mean, ultimately, if you're really truly talking about knowledge, and that's it, I'm a teacher. So, that, and, you know, as I've always said, there's a difference between uh, reading, a, getting a PhD in bicycle riding and never having ridden a bicycle. Yeah, exactly. And getting on a bike. <laughs> you're going to fall down, I'm afraid, with your PhD, you know? Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, we, and and that is a, that is a, shall we say that's a pathology that uh, people that study Steiner can suffer from, and 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 I did for many years. Is that you become so enamored by the clarity and the precision and the breathtaking beauty once you get over the dryness of it, really, uh, of Steiner's presentations that you actually think you're learning something and have knowledge, <laughs> and you kind you don't. What you have is book learning, and Steiner says it's important to get these ideas because they do kind of wrench you out of the dogmatism of your materialistic orientation. I don't know how much they wrench you out of it, but you know, the idea is to, to loosen you up a bit. And he says study is the beginning. You need to do that, and, but not confuse it with thinking that you then know something. Mm. Well, right? and he describes it in such poetic terms, too, that it almost feels like you're experiencing it. It, it, yes. it is dry, but at the same time, there's something very enchanting about it. Yeah. And just reading them aloud, I got to tell you, there are times you just, you're transported. Yeah. You just are. Yeah. There's no question about I, it. I don't, yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So super sensible knowledge then becomes a body of knowledge that Steiner shares that is occult science or esoteric, let's call it esoteric science. And then he shares, and then I'm thinking to myself, well, why did Steiner give so many lectures and talk about so many different things? And one part of it, I think was that, well, what is a, what is a person who can see do to try to give a blind person uh, a picture of the world, a world. I mean, it's so incredibly complicated. What are you going to talk about? You know what I mean? And so you really kind of piecemeal it the best you can to try. Well, I'll give them this and this and this, and maybe they'll connect the dots they, themselves, right? And that's, I think, what Steiner in some ways has done, even though there is a holism in it that's pretty awe-inspiring. More so than, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, I, I just think there's, there's so much of the information and knowledge that he wants to share. That may be why it comes off as being dry. Is that there's just no time to dilly-dally. He's got to get right. to the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter is supremely vast. Yeah. yeah. And he absolutely knows that materialism is the extant understanding of the humanity of his time. And he was a trained scientist, right? So he was he was very good at arguing uh, in the, in that realm. But he um, they say that his ma- his his initiates, uh, his masters that initiated him, that they the discussion about him becoming public was to 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 uh, step into the mouth of the dragon. <laughs> That's the, appropriate. The, the aramonic being that is the materialism, right? To step into that and wrestle with it. Uh, it, there's there's a set of lectures called Occultism in the 19th Century, and Steiner gave these lectures. And in there, he said that uh, the, the initiates, these high beings, maybe they're Tibetan, some are in Tibet, some are not incarnated. They saw materialism like a tsunami. And it was so overpowering the consciousness of humanity. They thought that we would fall too far in our in our the power that it gives us, right? And with science and technology and everything, and that we would lose the spiritual kind of forever, let's say, right? And so they brought about something that could uh, push up against that. And that was H.P. Uh, Blavatsky and the Theosophical Movement was, was an effort by them to, to do something, right? To do something. And so she was helped. She was, you know, guided in her inspiration. She's an astonishing medium, right? Of amazing power. 
And Snyder went on and on about her quite a bit of the time. But at the same time, because she wasn't developed in a certain way, her there was a one-sidedness in her, let's say. She was able to be controlled over time, he argues. Okay, this is Steiner's lectures that he talks about. And uh, and it kind of went by the wayside. When it was originally very much a Rosicrucian, when she wrote Isis Unveiled, that was very much an inspiration of Rosicrucian uh, uh, occult knowledge, uh, inspired by Christian Rosenkreutz. But then he says these kind of masters that were not good ones kind of were able to take her over. And, and, it, and, her, she, and she had an inherent... Uh, 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 dislike of Christianity in in general. It was something kind of a prejudice in her, and that clouded her spiritual experience. Steiner argues as well, right? And so on and on in there. Uh, but for me, ultimately, all of that, as I see it now, was a soil for the coming of really one of the great world teachers in the history of the world, which was Rudolf Steiner. And he needed to have the Theosophical Society there. There would there would would have been no one to hear him otherwise. There just wouldn't have been anyone to listen to him. And so he, when 1900, when he went to the von Brockdorf, which is a small theosophical group, I believe in, I believe it was in Berlin, uh, he started to talk and they listened. They said, oh, please come back. And he went, okay, I found somebody that wants to hear this. So in that sense, yeah, I really am beholden to her at the same time that, you know, I struggle with some of her stuff. Sure, sure. In so many ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was a lot of rambling too. That's, you know, <laughs> that's what you're here for. Yeah, Dale, we, that's exactly what we're here for. Exactly. That's what we want. We're here to sit at the feet of your rambling. Exactly. So, so, My gosh. So, so we talked about sun, uh, that old sun with the etheric body was, then that went out of existence, so to speak. Uh, pralaya is what it's called in Hinduism, a pralaya, P-R-A-L-A-Y-A. And then it reemerges again. And each time it does this, by the way, it recapitulates all of the prior evolutions in a, in, a, in, a, in a more microcosmic way until it gets to about the middle of its evolution and then something new arises. It, was, it always takes, to, it gets to its middle point and then, then the, new, the new thing. So, you, so maybe you could even say that the etheric body didn't really get incorporated into the human being until uh, the middle of sun. So that the astral body, then old moon it's called, the next one, is when the astral body gets incorporated. Maybe that only happens kind of in the middle. I can't recall, but that's possibly true. So uh, so the other side of this, you guys, is how glorious this is. That on Saturn, when the human being was just in its gestated, you know, just the beginnings of its gestation, there were be spiritual beings there that Steiner says were going through their human stage. Okay. And, but there's no matter. So it was all, what does that mean? It's so tantalizing. What does he mean? You know, and he does talk about it, but I don't, I can't say it to, to be careful. I don't want to distort it, but it's very subtle. Okay. It's very subtle. So they become, so they really are kind of angelic there. And then they become archangels, uh, beings on sun and they become, uh, wait, wait, I'm going to get this wrong. Yeah. So they were called primal beginnings there. But anyway, so you have the angels and the archangels and the archai, as they're called, which are the hierarchy of spiritual beings above us. And yeah, the archai went through their human stage on sun. The archangels went through the, uh, on Saturn. The archangels went through their human stage on uh, uh, old sun. And the angels went through their human stage on old moon. Okay. 
So I would throw that in there, right? So now what are the angels doing? Well, on earth evolution, which we're on now, which is where we are, we have a, 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 a physical body that's gone through four stages of perfecting from, from Saturn through sun, through moon, now in, on the earth, incredible, amazing body. Our astral body is so undeveloped, it beats the hell out of that thing, right? But it, drinking coffee and having a drink and all this stuff. And that body withstands enormous damage that we do to it. And that's be astonishing, really. And that's because of this perfection. The etheric body has gone through three stages of perfection. Our astral body is in its second state of perfection. But our ego's just been born. I don't know how many thousand, 20,000, 30,000 years ago, uh, the beginning of reincar you know, reincarnation, and that was a, a higher being called the spirits of form, exousiae, known in the Bible as the Elohim, uh, bestowed the ego on these three friends, these three bodies that had been prepared through countless millions or billions of years of evolution. I have no idea, right? And uh, I wanted to mention that I can't remember why, <laughs> but that's the picture you. of us, right? That's kind of that picture yeah. of us as Steiner wants us to start to ponder it, not to believe it, not to say it's true, not to beat each other up because yeah. you're right and I'm wrong, to be but to just ponder these ideas. Are these possible? I have a warmth body. My warmth body that I have is from Saturn. I still carry Saturn in my warmth body. I still carry old sun in my etheric body. I still carry all, and that's in a certain way how Steiner probably was able to go back and see them because it's all contained kind of, let's say at the cellular level or, or atomic level or whatever the materialistic picture might be, right, of us. And well, there yeah. was, we have such a, a complex evolution of, of, of us being humans. Um, and it seems like the physical aspect of that, not only is it the coarsest, but it is the most recent and maybe the, the least developed. But with all of that long history of all of those changes and evolutions and transformations, it, Steiner still reveled uh, the physical aspect as being the most, in a sense, the most sacred or the most superior. Why, why do you think that was the case? Yeah, so so when we get to earth evolution, it's very complicated because at first it's it's mainly a spiritual body. It only gradually densifies. It's the first of all of the evolutions where physical matter appears. So there's no physical matter in any of those other three. Maybe at the end of moon, I'm not sure. But so we, the human form, your form, my form, these forms that we have were there at the beginning but they were spiritual beings, okay? And it was, uh, and I, this is so I've, I've got come to understand, feel it. I don't know if Steiner exactly says this, but it was almost our desire to take our next step in evolution out of the spiritual world and in the physical world that together brought about the creation of the earth. <laughs> you know, it's almost an unconscious way, but obviously the higher beings and all that were involved in it. And as they, as we were kind of urging the earth to, to, to mother it into being, uh, at times we would try to dip into it because we thought it's time now. I can take hold of matter and my form will be realized there. And it wasn't. And so we got, <laughs> we got the rocks and we got the plants. And then we got the animal forms and the animals were human beings going into this thing and it didn't work. We, we couldn't realize our ego there. And, and but because we made that effort, those creatures continued to uh, evolve on the physical plane. 
<laughs> Isn't that wild? And then finally, finally the time came when we could, when we could embody ourselves in that and this form shows up and everybody goes, well, yeah, this was last. And it, yeah, yeah, from the physical point of view, it's last. But in fact, it was there at the beginning. Just not but as it, in its, it, it just it was a spiritual being, right? It was a spiritual being. And it's a perfect resonated uh, reflection of the, of the cosmos. So the entire cosmos is microcosmically manifest in some metamorphosed way in this form. This is the simplest, shall we say, most perfect form. And even people like Bucky Fuller argue that in his book, Critical Path, he looks at animals and stuff and says, yeah, that looks like a human being that just uh, went underwater all the time and <laughs> evolved accordingly. Yeah, that's great. So th he, saw, he saw all the animal realm as devolutions of the primal human form. Uh, you know, why, why does a cat have five claws for heaven's sake? Yeah. You know, why do they have so many things that we have? Exactly. You know, and, and some don't, you know, I mean, uh, a horse has one toe, you know, everything's become one toe at the end of an, you know, I mean, you could, there's a book by called man or mammals by Wolfgang Schott because other Pacific get real serious about this stuff. So they get heavy duty PhD people involved in this, right? They become that. And then they anthropologically, do I have a, a, a thing here of that? Let me see. They get into it. And he goes very carefully, very scientifically, a PhD in, in a paleontology. He goes into that carefully discuss. I got one. I got one. I'll show you. Yeah, go Hold for up. it. And by the way, did, can you see this? Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. So this is a 30-foot statue Steiner made. That's insane. That's and it's, I've seen it. I've, I've stood right there. I'm about that tall right oh, there. Oh, wow. Wild. And, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the Christ being, the representative of humanity. And this is a picture of the three temptations. It's one, it's one explanation of it, but not all the explanations. It's one explanation of the three temptations that the Christ uh, experienced after he incarnated in the body of Jesus of Nazareth at the baptism. Right? The 40 days in the wilderness kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. So right over here, if you could see it on the side, Lucifer's falling. He's upside down. Those are his wings. Here's Lucifer with Araman kind of intertwining. That's the second temptation. And the third temptation is Araman, this chlorotic being in the cave, trying to tempt, trying to, right? Yes. Isn't that astonishing? That's amazing. Oh, gorgeous. And luckily, it was in the Shrinerai when the Gertianum burned down by arson so that it was saved. So it, it exists in it. Incredible. Yeah. But here's a, oh, no, it's not there. It's over here. My book's. Here's a guy, uh, uh, Dankmar Boss. Let me see if I can get this. That looks good. Can uh -huh. you see the title there? Yes. Yes. Uh, and this is a detailed paleontologist uh, talking about geology, the, a sketch of geology and paleontology of the living earth. And it's, it's astonishing. But these guys are serious. They don't want to just take Steiner's ideas. Right. And just, yeah, I think that's true. You know, <laughs> they, they want it to become something that could be knowledge that Tangible. we could struggle toward. Yeah. Okay. And what and, was the and, name of that book again? The Mutual Evolution sorry. of The Mutual Evolution of, of Earth in Humanity. Yeah. And these are, Mar Boss. these are theosophists? Uh, anthroposophists. Anthroposophists. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And yeah. I wanted to ask you quickly what the name of the Buckminster Fuller book is. I, I, uh, every time you. Path. Every time you come on the show, I take like 10 pages of notes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she's not asking questions because she's taking notes. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm very flattered. Thank you very much. But yeah. Okay. Um, Critical Path by uh, Bucky yeah. Fuller, who I love. 
I love, oh, tell me about it. This very much. Anybody that, you know, just manifests genius. You know what I mean? How can you dismiss that? You know, <laughs> very exciting. So very exciting. Interesting take that, that animals are de-evolutions of human. Instead of the monkey turning into the human being, it's the monkey coming from... <laughs> Coming from a version of humans, that's, that's. And again, I'm not. I'm never saying that Steiner exactly says that. I yeah. was. I was inter, interspersing Bucky with that, which is cool that he would say. Yes. But I get this feeling that we were trying to. There was this enormous drive in humanity, you know, as a as a as a amorphous kind of being. I think it was called Adam Cadmon in the, in his writings. But it wanted to find incarnation, and it was like the underpinning. Uh, forces or uh, intelligence, no, the underpinning intelligence of evolution. So I got to share this with you. I don't know if I did last time. You guys ever read Teilhard de Chardin? So Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, you've ever heard of him? Mm -mm. Okay. So C-H-A-R-D-I-N is his last, people call him Teilhard, T-E-I-L-H-A-R-D. Uh, very interesting. I mean, he, so here, here he was, a Jesuit priest. And at the same time, one of the five greatest living paleontologists of his age, of, of the age, from 1935 to 1955. But his writings were so embarrassing to the church, they wouldn't let them be published. And they kind of exiled him to China. He could come back maybe once a year for a conference or something. But he lived in China for 30 years. Okay. And here is a guy who was a paleontologist, very serious. So here he is. He's in China. <laughs> I love this story, right? And... Uh, and he's studying the layers of the earth, you guys. And here he finds a plant. And a million years later, while well, he's studying, and he finds this plant form, but he finds that it's differentiated itself into a whole bunch of phyla, right? a whole bunch of different ones. He goes, wow, that's amazing. And then he looks a million years later, and he finds that each one of those has tangentially evolved all these other forms. So he's looking at this, and he's astonished at the power of evolution, that it's just spending its passion in what he called tangential differentiation. Form after form after different form after different form, just going nuts, okay, into the animal realm and all this stuff. So then he says, it's, he says, but when you get to the latter part of the tertiary period, and from then on, all of this stops. There is no more tangential evolution that you can find. Just little vestiges of it, but nothing, nothing's going on anymore. And he goes, what's happened? Why has this occurred? So he's studying this. And what does he say? He goes, and it is here at the latter part of the tertiary period where you find for the first time in all of geological, paleontological evolution, the remains of the human form. Wow. And then he says, as a priest scientist, he says, it's as though evolution in its intelligence had finally arrived at the form it had desired all along. This guy never read Steiner, okay? And instead of spending its passion in tangential differentiation, it began to radially converge all of its forces into the human being and that he says now for the rest of our time we are the forces of evolution and you know what saying that without ego without hubris saying it soberly and wanting to take responsibility for myself as a human being i think that's a pretty good approximation of what we are and we better we better own up to it Absolutely. and take responsibility for that yes. in all humility right and, oh you're just being prideful i'm not 
being prideful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just <laughs> recognizing your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't that gorgeous? Isn't it that is. just shock you? Yeah. And, and 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 he says, so so we had cosmogenesis until we got the human form, then we had anthropogenesis until those radiating forces had achieved such a concentration that he says this, that the Christ could incarnate in them. And then it, now we're in the realm of what he called Christogenesis. The, the being of this high spiritual cosmic being is working in us, bringing forward whatever that next uh, stage of evolution is. And Steiner's a good picture of a one step on the way. There's no doubt about that for yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so I, was, I love that story. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. Something that I find fascinating about uh, hearing about these sort of the evolution of not only humans, but the universe in many ways, is that as sort of, I don't know, I always picture Steiner, maybe falsely so, as a Christian or somebody that aligns themselves with Christianity or a version of esoteric Christianity. But his sort of creation story has nothing to do with anything that is talked about in the Bible at all. There's no God, there's no seven days, there's none of that. It's much more complex and it actually makes a lot more sense in many ways. How how do those two stories reconcile each other or do wonderful. they? That's yeah. Uh, actually all of that, that you said is an antiposophy, all of it, nothing's taken away, nothing's thrown away. Seven days are there. Okay. All of it is there. Okay. Right? But it's understood again. That's really kind of what happens because you, so to call Steiner. So what do we mean by a Christian? Well, in our time, in the forms of Christianity that we have in our as the evolution of consciousness, we're totally separated from the Godhead, right? Some of us have inklings a little bit more than others. Some maybe have religious experiences more than others. But by and large, uh, all we have is this thing called believing. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And so we believe in this or we believe in that. Oh, do you believe in Christ? Yeah, I believe in Christ. Oh, then you're a Christian. And I just don't know what that means. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. But that's what you probably mean, right? Yeah, I when mean, you, it, 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 yeah, yeah, just, right. And I just want to clarify so I don't overstep that. Yes. So what would happen instead of believing in, let's say, Christ, you actually in your as a spiritual initiate, as an initiate, you had a spiritual experience at a certain moment in your life where you met Christ in the spiritual world. And in meeting him, you understood his nature and his relationship to the evolution of humanity. That would be different uh, altogether. That's happened to Steiner. Steiner says, I stood before the Christ in a solemn festival of knowledge. Wow. That's okay. a great combination of words. And that, that began everything. That began everything for him. So he, he saw the Christ as the meaning of the earth. The mystery of Golgotha, more, more specifically. right? What occurred then had to do with, uh, I don't want to jump the gun on that, but that's a sweet, sweet, gorgeous story, right? But so it, it, it's Christ centered, but the nature of a belief thing, like you and I were taught and what we think these religions are, frankly, are in their most degenerate, decadent form that you could possibly imagine. But they're, the people are probably better off than, than a serial killer. OK, right. So thank goodness for that. Right. But to imagine that as being anything worthwhile for me, not me, you know, I. I mean, it's good enough for now, but the, the point is, is you need, we need to experience the spiritual world again. Exactly. There's nothing experiential just, about yeah. teachings by rote. 
I think, yeah, even in that, even, either in anthroposophy, let's say, or even in Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism or anything, right? Yeah, I would say that. But uh, so when he talks about the Christ, the times is very, very beautiful. I mean, that said I gave you, I, I mentioned earlier, I think, I believe it's 113. It, it's called From Jesus to Christ. And it's one of his fundamental 50 cycles. So to, to go back to that, Chris, right? So that's a, I, you were Chris, right? And you're Hunter, right? Yes. Hunter. Yeah, okay. Yes. I wanted to make sure. I wanted to make sure. You I know Hunter that. And Chris here. Yeah, I know. And I get, le- okay, I get letters from you and I'm like, I think it's the guy. I think it's the guy, right? Okay? But, you know. Uh, we wanted to apologize for Dale calling us by the wrong name. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you have it right. I, I caught on. Yes, you did. You're a sharp yeah. one. So, <laughs> so. I would love to hear yeah. that that story yeah. of of how he had that experience. Solemn festival I, I, of knowledge. Yeah. That's the, yeah. it's gorgeous. Solemn, isn't it? Yeah. Solemn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He never. That's all he said. You might say on it, really, and he didn't. He didn't. Uh, uh, but I think that his, his argument is that once you begin your, your journey, that there, a moment comes when you meet the Christ, because the Christ did something as a cosmic spiritual being, right? He did something as a human being that connected us to the spiritual world that we had become disconnected from by Lucifer. So here's that story. So there, there are these epochs uh, when the earth evolution, there was what's called the Polarian epoch, right? This is in occult science, going back to that. Then the Hyperborean epoch. These are all recapitulations of Saturn, sun, and moon. And then uh, the uh, Lemurian epoch. I might've missed one in there. So in Lemuria, uh, a bunch Atlantean. of things happen. Say again? Atlantean. And, and that, that'll come that's okay. later, but gotcha. Lemuria is before Atlantis. Okay. And at Atlantis, a couple things happened. One was that our evolution had reached a certain critical point. What was happening is every time hu- human beings, even though they weren't incarnating, they were, they were like taking up physical substance and they were having spiritual experiences, but they stayed in the spiritual world. We stayed in the spiritual world, but we used the physical uh, to to learn from. But every time we would take some up and sort of incorporate ourselves in it, maybe that's a way to say it, that substance we used could never be used again by a human being trying to live again. And so we started to scleroticize the earth. And the earth became denser because of our activity, it became denser and denser and denser until a point came where the higher beings saw that it couldn't be used anymore. Human beings couldn't evolve. It, it, we, it, we came to an impasse. And so it was designed that these, these dense physical substances, by and large, were extracted from the earth and became the moon, the physical moon that's out there right now. Okay. And so we had the sun before that. So there was a time when the sun was in the earth, <laughs> and the, this is some cold science, and the moon was in the earth, and we, we evolved too fast. Mm. We would incarnate into that. And we just, it, it would happen so quickly that there was no way. So the sunbeams left with their higher activity and they abide on the sun now and they're evolving in their own way. So then we had the scleroticization that occurred, sorry for my bad storytelling. Then the moon separates. Well, right at that time, there was kind of one being that was very powerful and was able to actually engage just as that separation was occurring. We call that being Adam. And that's, you know, okay. But and this being was so kind of powerful that the higher being saw his specialness or her special. Actually, it was a hermaphroditic being. Uh, they saw this being and they took part of its etheric forces and they kept them in the spiritual human 
etheric forces, and they kept them in the spiritual world. So they never, they never ever have incarnated, let's say, right? And so, and at that time, uh, the spirits of form, the Elohim, then began to bestow the egos, these the ego of the human being in the body. And so that that began actual reincarnation at this time. So we never reincarnated before. I think in about another 8,000 years or something, we'll stop reincarnating. So there's this period where we're using reincarnation as this to embody ourselves, right? And, and, and have these experiences for, for the good of our evolution. Honest, that's really happening. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Wild. So is that, so if you are reincarnating, are you reincarnating with just your energy or is it a collective energy of all humans on earth are reincarnating at the same time through, through these individual bodies? Does that make sense? Okay. So maybe, maybe that's really cool. Cause it may have been that way sort of at the beginning that the individuation of these spiritual beings was less delineated, right? Yeah. But through those incarnations, the delineations became more pronounced, right? Wow. And here's the cool thing. And also these, so you and I, maybe we're kind of vaguely in a, you know, in a grouping of, but then gradually we, we, we precipitated ourselves out. Uh, the, the sponge around the drop of the ocean got thicker and harder and right. you and I, be, right. And so, and so over time, this uh, reincarnating being, that you are and the reincarnating being that I am are very individual beings, right? Very high individuals in a way, mm -hmm. right? Or very low, I suppose, sadly, there might be that too, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and connected to each one of those is an angel and our, uh, what we call a guardian angel. And that guardian angel does a lot of things, but one of the things I know it does, Steiner says, I mean, is that uh, it holds all the memories of all the reincarnations you've experienced until you are ready to take that on. An initiate, you might say, takes that on. When it, you become an initiate, one of the things that happens is you are all your reincarnations again. You know who you are, in other words. <laughs> all your you fragments. and I just know the one lifetime, right? That we're Yeah, having, exactly. Right? All your and I don't remember what I ate yesterday, so I'm not doing the greatest <laughs> job in the world. Anyway, okay? <laughs> right? So, I wonder so, where so that, that fall, falls in the hierarchy of the life review. So you're probably not capable of remembering all of those reincarnations in the life review because you are encapsulated in this one version of your human experience. Good. Yeah. And we'll get, let, let's get to that. Let's see if I need anything else to say. Do you wanted to talk about the mystery of Gaga, the story? Oh, no, you, no, that's right. Solemn festival of knowledge. Okay. So we can go to the mystery of Gaga for later, but don't forget those special etheric forces that were kept in what are called the mother lodge of humanity was, was a phrase Steiner used the white lodge, whatever, but they were kind of, and they never incarnated, but we'll talk about that later. Let's go to the life review. So, yeah. So in occult science, so when you die, you have that three day review where you experience your life from the moment you die till the moment you're born, like your life passing before your eyes. It's, I think, very pictorial. So you're just kind of ruminating on this picture of your life. Then that kind of, if you're not an initiate, uh, your uh, etheric body dissolves after that into the common ether, except for a, a small part, you could call it your karmic package that holds the karma 
karmic aspects that need to be worked with right in the future then you enter into that one third of your lifetime that you were asleep you're in, it's called kama loka and steiner uses that hindu or uh, eastern word for that and then you go backwards through your life from the moment you died till the moment you're born but now you experience shall we say every event i don't know how, what that means let's just say every event right you experience it morally as uh and inverted in the sense that when I did a good deed to somebody, I now experience them experiencing yeah, the blessing right. of yes. my good deed. I've heard that. And I, and, and I learned from that. When I slapped somebody in the face uh, a year before that, <laughs> let's say, right, I experienced the shame and hurt and, 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 and that because I learned from that. None of this is punishment ever in Steiner's work, no matter how horrifying we would see a lifetime, right? It's all about the, the grinding away of our, of our development, right? And, and the, why you were born was to have the experiences you had so that you would have this Kamaloka thing. And, and out of that thing, right, you then have a, a, a karmic extract that kind of stayed. And this happens in the moon sphere. So here we have the earth as the center. And the moon, right, the moon is really a boundary for a sphere around the earth. And in that sphere are all the dead and the angelic realm who are participating with us after we die in this uh, life review. And this is, is this the life review you were talking about, Hunter? Yes. Yes. This is the real life review. The other one is kind of the life passing before your eyes. It's kind of part of it. But this is the real substantial one because of the moral forces. And, and, and I know you had that wonderful question about spirit land and those three theosophical, his book, Theosophy, talks about. I don't have a good grasp of that. Chris, so I apologize. I won't be able to address that tonight. But Steiner says that the foundation of the spiritual world is moral is the moral world it's a moral world and it's more real than the physical earth in fact it's more real than the physical earth right now i mean think about our moral life i mean how much we suffer inside of it we don't really escape that except we distract ourselves as much as possible you know but it's real to us and and it's hauntingly real we look at the animal realm and we go they don't have that they they're never they never do a bad thing and they never do a good thing they just do what their instincts and their drives and their passions drive them to do to survive and whatever else. But we live constantly in right and wrong and good and bad and decision right, decision wrong. I mean, why people don't see that difference, I have no clue. <laughs> Unless they're anthropomorphizing their pets or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, it's astonishing to me. I keep losing these things. So the um, comma so the comma loca is seeing your influence on others yes. it's it's how I, I what blows my mind about that is that this kind of explains suffering and and why suffering exists on this plane because yes. basically that nothing goes unchecked so if you've created suffering to another or or on another then you are going to experience that in this kamaloka state yeah you will yeah for your edification, for growth. But it is a suffering. As he said, what did we mention that one time? I mean, he has a statement, you know, you know, he says, all wisdom is crystallized pain. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And you go, you know, and you go, you know, it is. I mean, shoot. <laughs> but the other thing that does happen, of course, in Kamaloka is that we have desire still in our astral body 
that we want to satisfy. And depending on our spiritual development, most of those desires are all based on physical sense organs, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't have them. And I don't have them. And that has to be burned away. So there is a burning desires aspect, depending on your spiritual development. A, a high initiate would pass through that without any issues whatsoever, right? But for you and I, for me, I'll say, there'll, there'll be that time when I will desire a hamburger and there will be no taste buds. And yeah, yeah. There'll be no hands. Exactly. You know what I mean? In, and that's, it's, 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 he says, and it's actually way more intense than mm. the suffering of hunger or things here. Because you don't have the... The, the body's a reflector. It actually dampens down yeah. what we would otherwise exactly. experience, right, yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> In Tibetan Buddhism, that, that those are called hungry ghosts. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very and, interesting. And again, that, that part of it's just, you know, the, the, the point is, is we're, we're going to enter into the spiritual world after we go beyond, when we go beyond the moon sphere and we enter into what he called the Mercury sphere. And Mercury and Venus, their names were, were changed in the past. They used to be, the planet we call Venus used to be called Mercury. And the planet we call Mercury is to be called Venus. So he calls that the Mercury sphere around the Earth. And in that, uh, uh, we have to be spiritual beings by then. And so we have to kind of uh, uh, shed the skin of the myopic ego that we were on the Earth. And so all you were saying is part of that is just to become an objective spiritual being to the degree that we can stay awake at all. I mean, that, that's a real question. Otherwise, the hierarchies just take over and begin to build a body for us for another incarnation. It calls it a spiritual germ. They begin to construct this based on our karma, based on uh, lots of things. I mean, I can't, you know, there's no way we could say I want to trivialize it. But I wonder yeah. how long each one of those realms lasts. Like how right. long you're a, in that, that space. Yeah, it's a, so in, in general, in the original kind of plan, uh, you would incarnate once, reincarnate once every about thousand years as a man and once every thousand years as a woman. Uh, but now that's all different because of all the various uh, stages of spiritual development we're all in. Okay. So uh, an initiate generally will go through that incredibly fast. I believe there's an anecdote that says like in 1922, maybe St somebody asked Steiner because they were getting uh, about his next incarnation. He says, yes, I, uh, I will incarnate 80 years after I die. I'll reincarnate again. So I don't know where he got that number of it. Right. And, uh, I wonder yeah. where so he is. and then there's people, he said, I think that are really, really simple that go through it rather quickly, but they're completely asleep through the whole thing. Yeah. And then you have other people like, like, uh, super intellectual materialistic people with that are very, very powerful intellectually, but have no spiritual relationship at all. They take a really long time, you know, say 700, I think generally 700 years is the average now because those things are changing as evolution occurs. So yeah, that's kind of the rough, rough and ready there. Yeah, there's a couple of places where he really gets into it. And I don't remember the details. They're very, very specific. It has to do with how long you can stay awake and not fall asleep. Well, where, where can people go and find your readings of Steiner's work and anything else you have going online? Thank you. Yeah, we should say that. So my main site, which is fairly searchable, uh, but things are in MP3 form and, and uh, they're not streamed. So they have to sort of be downloaded kind of thing. Great. Is, uh, is, but it has everything that I've ever done on it and multiple copies of the things that I've done. Fantastic. It's called uh, www.rudolfsteineraudio.com. One word with an F, not a PH. Okay. 
So we're all standard audio. Then uh, you're, a few years ago, somebody said, well, why don't you stream it? Because I really like to listen to it on my phone and I'm in the car. Mm -hmm. So uh, he said, There's, here's a site. So I have one called rudolfsteiner.podbean.com. Okay. But that's really an app for your phone. You have to get that on your yes. phone. You get, The website's awkward and, and they don't care about it, frankly. They just mm -hmm. want you to use your phone. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, Rudolf Steiner Press over the years uh, has developed uh, a YouTube site mm -hmm. called Rudolf Steiner Press Audio Archive or something like that. Okay. And that one is the most used, I think, in the world. I think it's almost 11 million downloads now. Wow. That's yeah, where that I went. Can... Yeah, that's where I listened. Sorry. So that's where I listened. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, there is a Dale Brunswold site, but I don't, I, they just automatically go up on there because I, when I put them on the Podbean site, I can connect to these other sites. Okay. So there are, and also Spotify. Okay. Uh, I, but I don't know how you'd search it. I've never looked it up. I don't use Spotify. Never, I don't either. I've never, I, I don't know what it is. So, <laughs> so let me think if there's anything else, you know. Uh, so it's, it's kind of neat that things have migrated. Then there's a really cool site called, there's a guy named one word, Karma Police Bureau. And he did this about eight or nine or 10 years ago. He took certain lectures and he made these detailed uh, constructed montages of Ooh. the concepts as they unfold in fantastic high definition. Wow. And they're really, really Amazing. so humbling to watch. Yeah. Flabbergastingly That's beautiful, great. some of them. Cool. And he's done maybe, I don't know, he's got about uh, 800,000 downloads on that site. Wow. But he's done maybe, I, I suppose, about 50 lectures he did, 50, okay. 60 lectures. Amazing. And those are cool. I mean, but you'd, we'd have to watch them, I guess. Yeah. I, I've never watched them all the way through. I'll have to check Sometimes he slowed down my voice in a way that sounds a little artificial, too. But oh, I don't care. It's fine. Yeah. Because <laughs> I guess he wanted it to fit into the, to the montage he was working yeah. on. Okay. Interesting. Is there anything else I can think of? Yeah, no, that's it. Thank cool. you so much for asking. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for agreeing to come right. on. It's been a blast and very, very informative and mind-blowing. Yes. Very well, educational. I appreciate that. And it's been a wonderful conversation for me. And I always feel better when uh, I've talked about Rudolf Steiner. I just I'm always feel better. <laughs> Good. I just, I, I, yeah, I just want that guy to get out there in the world as far absolutely. as he can and see what happens. We absolutely. do, too. We do, too. So, Blessings yes. to you guys. Blessings Likewise. to you. Thank you. Good luck, luck on your enterprise. Thank All you. Right. Thank you so Likewise. much. We look forward to seeing right. you again. Take care. Very good. Bye-bye. Bye. What did you think about that, my dear? I absolutely, I, you know, I have so much to say. I, I really love Dale so much because he gives such a, a incredible view of the human experience and I really really enjoy uh, Steiner and I feel like I know no one just barely one grain of sand in the giant ocean that is Steiner uh, what I like about him he did mention that Steiner's books can be dry and they can be dry but Dale is definitely not dry Dale's not dry at all. He's uh, very good at bringing Steiner and his teachings to life and animating them. Yeah, and I, I'm just sitting here, yawning, and looking at how many I'm oxygenating. I'm looking at how many one, two, three, four, five. 
five pages of notes from this two-hour conversation. And, you know, I, I know I can't compare speaking with him with anyone, any other guest we've had, but I think that there are other guests we've had that have gone down dark roads that don't feel very hopeful. And this, for some reason... Even, you know, looking at these, the the Aramonic energy or the Luciferian energy, considering all of these things and and these aspects of the human experience, I still see all of this as as a grander scheme of a story or a grander piece of a story that is a hopeful story that's not we're all fucked and it's all a dystopian post-apocalyptic nightmare that we're living in. Well, usually those points of view are from very close and this is 10,000 miles back up, I guess would be the proper direction. And so it puts things in a much greater context. It reminds me of when I was a kid and the thought experiment that I would always do to myself that always it was the closest that I could come to any psychedelic state of mind. And it sounds super simple, but really if you sit and think about it, um, it really calls basically everything into question. Like, of course, I was raised in a Christian household. We weren't fundamentalist by any means. We kind of just throughout our lives, throughout my life, just went to whatever church was closest to the neighborhood that we lived in. And uh, didn't adopt any denomination necessarily. So what I'm saying is the Christian God was in our loose cosmology in our house. So I would think, okay, God created us. God created everything, supposedly. That's what we're told. Well, where did God come from? Where, what, what, what or who created God? God? Did God just kind of boink appear out of nothingness? Like, no, I think that there had to be something before that. And then what created that? And then what created that? And it's like a putting this, just putting these mirrors facing each other and taking it as deeply as my mind could go. And I could go pretty deep. And it made me feel like <laughs> these things that are in front of our our eyes that we can pick up with our hands that are events in our lives are so minute. They're so small. We get so wrapped up in them that that's what tends to govern most of our lives um, is that focusing on the immediate, what is right in front of you and you lose sight of so, so much. And so that mind experiment really, that was like my 10,000 feet up. You know, that was my focusing back and going, whoa, we are very small. And there is probably so much in this existence that we will never be able to even fathom that it just would blow my mind. So this, (laughs) him and the way that Steiner in this book uh, recounts sort of the metamorphosis and evolution of the universe and humans is very much like that. It's just, it's monumental. Yeah, I really want to go back and listen to this episode and, and just when he's going into the the uh, nine hierarchies 
and talking about, you know, what is above the archangel and, you know, just, Mm -hmm. I, I love that. I, I really love delving into that because I, I feel like it's what you're saying there. There is this consensus reality, the human experience, the human body experience that we're having. And then there are these other um, relationships that are happening that influence this human experience. And that's, to me, that's the richness of these types of um, interviews and these types of dialogues is that it helps you to recognize that again Mm -hmm. and to go there and say, okay, well, what is, what is my guardian angel? What is, what is the life uh, course or the chronology of, of my reincarnation path that my guardian angel is seeing like is that why I I go left and I don't go right Mm -hmm. because this is part of my karmic path and this is part of my karmic experience and the decisions that I'm making in my life are being guided yeah they aren't there is free will but there's also some force that uh, is a, a protective force I think where the free will comes in is where we, how much we fall prey to those forces. That makes it sound like something predatory, but I don't mean it to to sound that way. But I think that, yeah, uh, we have to realize that in reality, there's no lines between anything. Everything is basically the same thing, different parts of the same thing. And so to think that something over here isn't going to affect something over here is very unrealistic. Uh, no matter how many, if that's two feet or 20,000 miles or 20,000 light years, if there is such a thing. So, yeah, I think that's that it's, it brings that interconnectedness uh, into focus and uh, makes me completely forget what I was going to say out of that. Well, I think, I think of our relationship and how... You know, when we are going through our our life review, we will see all the moments we were in the same room together. Yeah, I hope so. 40 years ago, 35 years ago, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And, you know, we've talked about this many times before. Like, why didn't we meet, meet back then when we had the same kind of circle of friends and we kind of swam in the same pool at the same time. And I think there was a karmic decision that was made that that wasn't the time for that to happen. Sure. And so that to me that that's an interesting uh thing to to ponder is like why wasn't it then? Why was it now? You know, what what would have been different? had we been together for 35 years now. Sure. Yeah, boy, you would have seen me grow up a, a lot. Um, I know what uh, the point that I was trying to make about, you were talking about free will and, uh, you didn't say destiny, but being at the influence of, of things like planets and stars and stuff like that. Um, I think that those things do influence us, uh, but I think it's up to us to to 
do something with that influence. Um, just like most things in life, uh, we're given a hand of cards every day when we wake up in the morning and we can either be discouraged by that and it may even be something that we completely distort because of our perceptions. But we may be dismayed by that or we may take that as a challenge if it looks like a rough hand of cards to make something better out of it or we do something completely different with it. It's up to us. So there's the circumstances, which is maybe the position of the superposition of everything in the the universe or the multiverse or however you want to look at it. And then there's us with free wills operating within it um, and how those two interact. Like, I don't think that um, it's as dogmatic as we're we're at the mercy of just these things that are just leading us around, blowing us around like strong gusts of wind. I think there are things that we can do within that uh, context that do... um, that do uh, embody uh, a direction that we can definitely point ourselves with intention towards. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Absolutely. Okay. I think that there are decisions that are being made karmically with many individuals, and that's what influences the life path that that you are on and that where free will comes into that is that you can decide to keep, keep that karmic contract or you can break that karmic contract. So, uh, you may, you may choose not to learn a specific lesson because it doesn't seem necessary to continue to learn that lesson Mm -hmm. or you may keep learning it because you just want to be stuck and stay in that spot. And so I think that's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic is that your decision, you being the universal, your decision as a human is influencing all these other decisions around you. Uh, but it doesn't mean that those decisions around you aren't going to uh, be enacted, that they're mm-hmm. not going to continue yeah. with or without you. So it's that's the stuff that, that I get into is, mm-hmm. is trying to kind of see all of this from 30,000 feet and observe it and understand, okay, why did I do this? Why did I do that? And I don't feel guilt or shame for the decisions that I've made because of what he was saying about this, this, uh, uh, Kama Loka. Mm -hmm. I really love that. I love this because again, this is like some innate energy that I've always perceived that everything that has happened in your life, you will witness that, but from the perspective of the other person that was involved in that. And so I imagine people that have died that I love and the influence of the, you know, the first person obviously that comes to my mind is my mother. She is having or had to relive all of those moments with me as a child from my perspective. Mm -hmm. So 
I think that's a you know when I, one thing I would ask Dale and that I'm curious about is then what happens with that energy like after that life review and you see it from your perspective and then you see it from the Kamaloka perspective then what's next does that energy go back into uh the human form again and then you you go and you find the people that you interacted with that you, that maybe you still have some deeply entrenched karmic um contract with like what it like like will she come back and try to right those wrongs sure yeah i don't know that's a great question and do they need to be righted necessarily since we are all interconnected to that person in particular could be just whatever other person that they encounter or people. And then that, that reverberates out and eventually finds its way back to you or it doesn't. Or maybe other people that are drawn into my life, the karmic agreement that they have with my mother is that they right those wrongs by right action, by good experiences with them. So you could be satisfying a karm that that karmic debt, and that could be one of the reasons why you and I got together in the time that we got together. So I mean, there's there's lots of different layers there that are really very true, interesting to you know. And we're not even high. That's what's so cool. That's what I love about this. Is I used to think you had to be. Not me, but that other people I engaged with had to be um, on LSD or on psilocybin or on some mind-altering drug to have these types of conversations because the the layers had to be peeled back in order for them to get to this state because I kind of feel like I'm always in this state. (laughs) But with you, I feel like we're there together. Like you are capable of having these conversations. Oh, you're special. <laughs> I love you. You're so amazing. We're we're Likewise. so we're lucky. We're lucky ducks. I love you too. Uh, okay, we'll get a room, guys. Okay. <laughs> Luckily, we have a room. We have lots of rooms up here. So, uh, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with Dale. Uh, I absolutely did, yeah. and we'll have him back for more. I would like to just peel through lots of Steiner's work, uh, not only for my own benefit, because this helps to sort of embed it in my brain, but uh, for the benefit of everybody who listens to it. So Steiner's got, so he was definitely on to something. He might've been on to the thing as far as I'm concerned, because this cosmology that he lays out really, um, can take in can take in a lot of stuff that I've thought about for a long, long time, plus some, plus lots. So yes, very, very provocative stuff. Yeah, and I'm I'm really into the Christ consciousness and into uh, I had never heard of Zarathustra. Zarathustra. There, Zarathustra. Yeah, Zarathustra. I wrote it down. Zara Thustra. Zara. He didn't say Zara. He said Zara. Oh, he did because you yeah. wrote it there. Yeah, okay. exactly. 
Oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, he mentioned it before I got a chance to ask him about it. Um, I want, I want to, I want to go there. I want to look into that. There's, I want to know more, more, more. There's the that big <clears throat> 2001 a Space Odyssey. That's where it, that became popular. Uh, that is from a Wagner piece uh, called "Thus Zarathustra Spoke." Mm. Yes, so. It's a thing. It is a thing. It's a thing. And apparently Zarathustra is the reincarnation of Jesus. No. Jesus Christ yeah. reincarnated into Zarathustra. No. Zarathustra. That's what I was starting to say. Yeah. Zarathustra reincarnated into Jesus Christ. Indeed. Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I had to turn into big gay Al there for a minute. <laughs> okay. Thank you all so very much for listening. We've got lots of patrons recently. Thank you all so much. It's so uh, uh, delightful to uh, think that some of you out there feel that it's worth few bucks that we ask to help us out uh it means a hell of a lot to us and as i've explained many many podcast episodes ago at first i was against paywalls um i thought that that was just a trick that a sneaky trick that podcasters played on their listeners to get them to pay money but now i think that i had a patreon account before i started ever doing that and so many people showed support that I wanted to give them something special as a gift for doing that. So that's where that all evolved from. Um, so thank you all for doing that. And we just released a, a Patreon-only episode with Sean Alger about Tracy Twyman. That's really fantastic, and there will be more of those in the future. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we'll start doing some of the more... Uh, um, prickly subject matter uh, that way uh, or you know where there's some sort of a I don't want to say danger involved but when we're talking about things that are very sensitive that some people might not be ready to hear uh, we might put it behind the paywall too and we have these great monthly melt meetups we're going to have one this Sunday um, that are really fantastic conversations between us and the people who help us out financially and it's really I just leave, always leave those conversations feeling much, much better than I did going into them. Um, so I highly suggest them. But anyway, if you don't have any of that, if you, if you don't feel like you have the finances to put aside to, to help us out in that way, um, good vibes goes a long way. And also an email stating that you don't have money to do that, but you would like to have access to that material, we'll do it. So that's all you got to do is reach out. Um, anything else that you, oh, to reach us, if you want to, if you have, uh, guest suggestions, we're not really eating, uh, casseroles right now. So what kind Let's of recipes? Let's just get beef and squash in it. And, and lettuce. Uh, and ghee. Yeah. And turn that into a casserole and write me. And come, <laughs> combine it in, in some magical way that makes it not taste like any of those things. Oh, no. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Just keep, keep saying it. I see I, the invisible gun at your head. No. I love it. I love it. Oh, no. 
I do. I love it. It's good. It's nourishing food. It's I cleansing. feel amazing. Yeah. I've lost 16 pounds. I feel great. Thank you, Emily Moyer, for your your nutritional advice. We highly sure. recommend you reach out to Emily Moyer if you have any health issues that you are navigating. She's a, a, a master when it comes to health. Mental, spiritual, physical health. Yes, and we also have a stack of books that we are very willing and able to send you if you offer to patrons. Yeah. Yes. Aren't we talking to patrons? You always get confused. I I put this behind every episode now. So whether it's the free episode or the patron episode, so right. So if you are a patron and you want a book, email me. Just any book. Anyway. Well, a book that we may have. Yeah, you'll see pictures on yeah, the Patreon we'll send you a page. Picture. Yeah, they're already there. I'm getting a little tired, you as are. you can tell. Yes. All right. Uh, the Melt Podcast at ProtonMail.com. And you can always email me at Hunter-Muse, M-U-S-E, at ProtonMail.com. And I'm loving the emails I'm getting. You guys are sending me some great stuff. Continue. Same here. Love it, love it, love it. We love you, and we are so happy that you're here. And we look forward to many, many other conversations. We're booked until mid-July, so we've got some incredible people coming on. Yes. We've got two more interviews this week. Yeah. Randy Moggins, um, which is going to be fucking mind-blowing, and Mark Gober uh, back for a second time, which will be fantastic, too. Yes. Can't wait for either. They're both going to be great. Yes. All right. Take care. We love you. Until next time. (laughs) Ta-ta. We usually do a meow. Meow. To hear the full-length version of this episode, get access to exclusive and early episodes, and participate in our monthly Zoom meetups for as little as $3 per month, just click the Patreon link in the episode notes or visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast. Contributing financially will help to make this podcast my full-time gig that I can devote more time to and allow me to create more content. Other ways of contributing would be giving us a favorable review or rating wherever you get your podcasts, subscribing to us on YouTube, spreading the word wherever you and your tribe congregate, or just by sending us your positive thoughts and intentions. In a quantumly intertwined and holographic multiverse, these also go a long way. Thank you.